Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to the Big Honker Podcast. We have got an epic giveaway going on to end this summer. So here it is. Four people, two days out here at the Big Honker Lodge. In January, you can goose or crane hunt. Uh, Pacific Calls is giving away a call. Dive Bomb Industries giving away some decoys. Boss Shot Shells giving away a case, which if you know the uh, shotgun shell market right now, that is worth more than gold. Dirty Duck Coffee is giving away a little bit of coffee. Lucky Duck's giving away a spinner. Gun Dog Outdoors, you're going to get a uh, field trauma kit, some bumpers, and Bangtail Whiskey is sending some whiskey for you. To enter, all you have to do is leave a review on iTunes. It's going to be like a, uh, a point system. Each thing that you do gets you an entry into our giveaway. So you can leave a review on iTunes. That'll be worth an entry. And uh, just share our podcast on social media. You can screenshot that you're listening to the episode, post it to your Instagram story. Be sure to tag us, Andy underscore Shaver or Stanfield 68 on Instagram. And uh, if you share anything of our episode on Facebook with your friends, tag us. That way we know that this is an entry into the giveaway. So that's how we're going to do it. Leave a review on iTunes. That's all going to be worth an entry. And then anytime you share our podcast on any form of social media that we have, Instagram, Facebook, and tag us, that's going to be an entry. And then we will pick a winner Labor Day, September 6th. So we hope that everybody participates because it is going to be here before we know it. Hunting season is just right around the corner. We could not be more excited. This podcast is brought to you by the boys up in uh, Spoke Compton, Washington, Pacific Calls. Listen, what better way to bring in a new waterfowl season than to get a new goose or duck call? We got a promo code, BHP25. will save you 25% off of your order. Tell you what, it's one of my favorite things to do. New hunting season, you got to get a new call. They have totally redesigned the 206 Made the uh, made the insert a little bit longer, so it's a little bit more user friendly, but it doesn't sacrifice anything. So uh, you can look at that online, or I still say that the PCD is the best duck call that is on the market today. Not even close, hands down, winner PCD. So go check them out at PacificCustomCalls.com, and uh, you know while you're at it, maybe get you a world famous T-shirt. This podcast is also brought to you by Shin Gear Waders. They have taken the waiter market by storm. These waders are built better to last longer. It is a tough, durable nylon material that stands up to those, uh, those pesky little branches that you seem to find at 4 o'clock in the morning and puts a big asshole in your waders. So um, these are more durable, a lot more durable than that uh, polyester. And it is backed by their guarantee that they will stand behind these waders for as long as you will stand in them. So if you do rip them, you do get a hole in them, something's coming apart, you send them back to the folks over at Shin Gear, they'll patch them and they'll get them right back out to you in a timely manner. The customer is their number one priority, and that's refreshing to see. Go check them out, shingear.com. If you're tired of having to buy a new pair of waders every year or two, you can get these, you can be done with it, and you can see why these are built better. Uh, we're also brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries. Jeez, they've got more products. They've got a uh, new layout chair coming out. They've got new flag coming out. That's the one I'm looking forward to because I have had hell finding a, a goose flag that uh, can stand up to seven days of use. So, um, And also, Dive Bomb is coming out with a brand new pose, a new speckle belly pose, a V2 uh, alternate pose. And it's going to kind of show 
that uh, those those lighter colored breast feathers, and it'll add a nice contrast and a nice pop to your decoy spread this fall. They're really a one-stop shop whenever it comes to uh, silhouettes and floaters. Like I said, be looking out for some of the other stuff they got coming out. That's at divebombindustries.com. We're also brought to you by Boss Shot Shells. Bismuth is the way to go. It's back in style. Ship straight to your door. No middleman. It's Dad's final rest in pace. We dropped <laughs> we dropped Dad off with Brandon and uh, Zach, and he's going to be loaded up in some shotgun shells, and we'll be shooting around here this next couple of years. I don't know if I'm gonna shoot mine. Well, depends on how much. Depends on how far Ron goes. Dad's dream was to be shot in shotgun shells, so he's and now that. he's got it with the, the guys over you can at, have. at Boss Shot Shells. They've got a simple approach: make a great shotgun shell that hits hard and has a clean kill. So go check them out at BossShotShells.com. Also, we're brought to you by Dirty Duck Coffee. It's the only way that I start my morning every single morning, especially here when I'm running on little sleep at the Big Honker Lodge. We've got a new blend out, the Missouri Boat Ride. They've got a high velocity. They've got good-looking merchandise. So head over to DirtyDuckCoffee.com. Get what you're going to need for those little pick-me-ups. Be shot out of a cannon with a cup of the duck. Also, we're brought to you by Lucky Duck, best blind on the market. Now they've got a big boy dog crate. For big dogs like Lou. Five-star crash test rated. They've also got fan system that you can put on this crate and keep your dog cool in the summertime. Constantly innovating over there at Lucky Duck. Uh, like I said, they've already got the best blind that's on the market with the uh, Lucky Duck 2x4. You can fit four grown men. Tops come together real nice. And uh, spinners. Can't beat them. Go check them out. LuckyDuck.com. We're also brought to you by Gundog Outdoors. New bumpers are out. I'm getting my dog in shape right now. Go buy the first aid kit. Everybody needs to have a first aid kit with them. Keep one in your truck. Keep one in your blind. When you need it, you need it. The times you don't need it, that's a great day. But when you do need it, you can sure make your day a little better by having one. If you're a hunting guide, you should carry one in your in your in your vehicle bag. or in your blind bag. I agree with you. I mean, so. you need to carry a couple, like you said, one in your pickup, one in your blind bag for when you're out in the out in the spread. But the, you just don't know what's going to happen, and you need to be prepared for everything. This uh, safety kit got a lot of cool features, so. Go check them out at Gun Dog Outdoors. And if you've got a fat dog like I got a fat dog named Lou, they got uh, new bumpers out right now. And they're nice, too. They're nice and soft. They got a nice weight to them. You can throw them a long way. You working with Lou tonight again? Or is it just a one-night deal? <laughs> we'll see how it goes. GunDogOutdoors.com. We're also brought to you by Goose Creek Retrievers. Speaking of gun dogs, Matt Peel, he's on a circuit right now. He is just going to all the hunt tests. I think he's killing it at most of them. He's, uh, he's putting out a lot of great dogs right now. He's, uh, he's a hell of a dog trainer. If you've got any questions about your hunting dog for this coming season, if you've hit a sticking point and you need a professional, I would highly recommend you check out Matt Peel at Goose Creek Retrievers. You can check him out online. Uh, Instagram is Goose Creek Retrievers, or uh, you can just find Matt Peel. Shoot man, him a message. and The man works you. hard and loves the animals. He does. And that's what you want in a dog trainer. He is living the dream, baby, living the dream. <clears throat> so go check them out at Goose Creek Retrievers. We're also brought to you by the Looking Glass Duck Club podcast. Logan and Rebel, y'all put enough pressure on them. They're recording episodes. They're up on Patreon right now. So uh, you can subscribe to their Patreon account. Uh, it's a small monthly fee, and you can get the bourbon reviews are free to everybody, but you can, you'll can you be uh, allowed access to listen to all the shenanigans going on over there at uh, the Cheek Beater Studios. They put on a great podcast, so go check them out. Looking Glass Duck Club. East Texas Rebel and Fanboy Logan. <laughs> 
Uh, we're also brought to you by Bangtail Whiskey. They ship whiskey straight to your door. It is a beautiful whiskey that I have enjoyed all summer long. I make my whiskey sours out of it. Did you see who Brandon Bing was with this weekend? Who? John Daly. John Daly. John Daly huh? sitting at the bar with him. Having him a bangtail. Was he really? Yeah. John, well, I don't know if John had bangtail because I don't know if he's on the bottle or not. But John looks like he's had lots of good days. So yeah. Brandon Bing is meeting some really cool people and getting to hang out with some people like that. So pretty cool. Well, that's cool. I know I, I, you look on uh, you look online and bangtail's kind of taking off everywhere. So check them out if they're at your uh, local liquor store, Bangtail Whiskey. It is a, it's a very good whiskey, and I cannot recommend it enough. So go check them out, bangtailwhiskey.com. This podcast finally brought to you by iSight Drones, which we have pipeline inspections, wind turbine inspections, well pad inspections, power line inspections, solar panel inspections. So if you have anything in the outdoor business, outdoor stuff, oil related, construction, farming, they can take care of you. They support drain tile survey, do stand counts, ranch land inspections, severe weather inspections, livestock counts, and watershed mapping. Folks, it's 2021, and drones are part of our world. Eyesight drones can do it all. Construction, farming, ranching, oil, every industry can use it. It's so much easier and quicker, and they can get stuff done. They can do 3D modeling, volumetrics, aerial site mapping, and job site monitoring, and that's Eyesight Drones, and that's EyesightDrones.com. We're also brought to you, last but not least, we're brought to you by Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. If you want dates with us, you better call in a hurry because the little bit of time that I had before we started rolling on this podcast, the phones have been ringing off the hook. So it is not going to be long and we're going to be just about booked up. So we've got some dove dates available and uh, a couple weekdays for goose hunting. So look us up, Stanfield Hunting Outfitters, or you can call us 940-658-3172. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this episode of the podcast, we have the birdiologist, Mr. Brian Huber from the great state of California on uh, what a what a what an episode. Uh, he's such a interesting, smart guy. He's in the middle of a banding project right now. Um, so we talk a little bit about that. We talk about the drought in the prairie pothole region. And uh, yeah, we just have a good time with him. We hope you enjoy it. And uh, go check him out on Instagram, Birdiologist. You can see all the programs that he's in the middle of right now. And it's a, it's a lot of fun to follow along with him so we hope you enjoy it here he is brian huber Honker Podcast brought to you by Dirty Duck Coffee. If your coffee sucks, it's not the duck. I am Jeff Stanfield with the world-famous Andy Shaver. How are you doing today, Andy? Very well. Why did you scoot over, like, into my space? Because the middle of the camera is on me here because I always catch myself. I can myself. move that. Well, you should move the fucker then because I try to watch the camera because I watch our guest over here on the big screen. So I set it at an angle so I can see it. Okay. You're all about you. You are just an asshole. Crowded my space. Yeah. You act more and more like a Democrat every day. Our guest today, from the great state of California, 
they are some good people out there. Mr. Brian Huber. Brian, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing today? Excellent. The Birdieologist, back in uh, back in action. Now, you've started a podcast recently, haven't you? Yeah, I, I did a little bit, and then I realized how much work it was. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's not easy, you know, but hopefully we'll get back into it, um, get some guys signed up and just kind of share, you know, what um, biologists do, we, specifically with waterfowl. You know, that's kind of the whole goal of it, share what we get to do and all the projects we get involved in. Yeah. And Andy makes ours look real easy. Because it is it's, a whole lot more work than people realize. And scheduling guests, and we have such a wide variety of people we have on, but it's not near as easy as it makes it, as, as Andy makes it look. I can guarantee you that. Andy works his ass off on ours. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, getting people on and then getting people on to talk about what you want to talk about is hard, you know, um, especially when, you know, people have their hands tied with whatever organization they're affiliated with, you know, the federal government, state, nonprofits, whatever. Um, you know, having a conversation around a campfire is a lot different than getting somebody on a podcast and, you know, trying to get some of that stuff out. So um, I'll, hopefully I'll get back into it. You know, we just moved to a new house, sold another house and just had a lot going on. So hopefully uh, we'll get some more episodes up. But Yeah, I hope so, because it was, uh, you know, it's it's fun to listen to. It's fun to listen to different people. But you are exactly right. Like you talk to somebody around a campfire with a couple beers and you're like, you'd, you'd be excellent. You need to come on. And then they get on yeah. and they just like clam up and you're like, oh, no. That yep. is, that is yep. not what I brought you here for, bub. We had, a, we, yep. had a, we had a local lady in town a couple of months ago reached out to me and she's like, how did y'all start y'all's podcast? And I told her kind of the basis of it. She goes, I think I'm going to have one. She goes, if y'all can do it, I can do one. Lady, first of all, you're not fucking very <laughs> Thanks interesting. Thanks a lot, lady. And second, you better find you a genre that'll, that you can kind of get into. But I think everybody thinks they're going to start one and they're going to have a million downloads right off the bat, and they don't realize it takes a lot of work. But anyways, I wish you the most success on it, and I have found out, just like everyone else has, if you have a podcast, whatever it is, there is someone interested in whatever you're interested in in the world. Yep. And so it, it hope it works out for you. Uh, what's going on in California these days? Oh, man. A lot. We got, uh, we're trying to recall our governor. We got fires everywhere. <laughs> we got drought problems like everywhere else. And uh, we're just, we got our hands full here, man. But uh, still a few birds hanging around that we, we get to go play with. And um, yeah, we're just staying busy trying to, trying to ban as many birds as we can while they're molting right now in California and just, uh, just chugging along with all the wrenches thrown our way and trying to dodge them and keep it going. That Newsom's going to win, isn't he? That's what I was going to You know, I ask. just, I don't know, man. I just read something on Facebook where the federal government's trying to block the block the, the recall because they're all in cahoots with each other. So, I don't know. I, I just, I try and uh, pay attention a little bit, but not too much because it'll just bring you down. Well, right. I, well I'm going to tell you right now, what you just said right there gives me some hope that he's going to get his ass beat. I know that Larry Elder is beating him in all the polls, which kind of surprised me. But if the federal government is getting involved to try to keep it from happening, his ass is in trouble. Right. Could be. Yep. And, and, yep. and, and they know that. They, they don't – they're, they're going to fight hard to keep California red. I, I know everybody keeps saying they're trying to blue. keep Texas – I mean, keep uh, California blue. Everybody says, well, Texas, Texas, Texas is going to fall well. California is leaning more red all the time. They're still a long ways away. But if we had a fair election, California might be red before long. People have had enough of that shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's frustrating, but uh, – we just try and keep chugging along, you know. So you're doing you're doing this banding project at night right now. Why are you having to do that? Just because it's too hot during the so, day? Uh, no. So the 
so so right now you got to think about what the birds are doing in their kind of yearly life cycle. So um, right now you have all the broods are pretty much on the ground. So all the ducklings are out there and they're out there swimming around in kind of the more permanent water, bigger ponds. And you also have the adults starting to molt, right? So they're going to be flightless for about 30, 30 days or so. Um, so the best technique for us to catch those birds right now is uh, we call it night lighting. And, uh, you know, I'm not too sure. I'm sure people do it in other parts of the country. But um, I know, you know, we really hit it hard here in California. Uh, but, yeah, the whole idea is, the, you know, the birds are molting. They can't fly. Um, so you wait for the darkest night you can find. Um, we're actually going to drive the five hours today right after this and head up there and band tonight. Um, but they're real vulnerable at night. So basically you get in an airboat. Uh, we start at about 9 o'clock at night, and we drive around these big, giant wetlands. Um, the, the current wetland we're in right now is about 2,500 acres, um, and it's loaded with birds. There's you know over 100,000-plus birds in there right now. And so you drive around at night in those airboats, um, the noise from the motors, the spotlights, you know, the driver's using a spotlight. And it, it really just pulls all the birds out and kind of gets them moving around. And so you, you basically hunt them down in that airboat, man. And you, you got a spotlight and it kind of stuns them. Um, you shine it on the birds and cruise up to them in the airboat, scoop them up with a fishing net, throw them in a crate. And then uh, we'll set up a banding station and we'll bring all the birds to that banding station and, and band as many as we can. So, Do you try to like corral them like as you're in the airboats to make them easier pickings or, or, or you just like one at a time dip netting them? You, you're really just picking one out and kind of chasing it down. So it kind of depends if it's like a, a brood that's old enough to band, you know, you can kind of scoop them up pretty easy. But if it's a molting bird that's kind of flopping around, I mean, you really got a speed to catch them, catch them and, you know, kind of get them next to the boat and scoop them up. So what's been fun this year is I finally passed my, um, uh, airboat training class and all that so i actually get to drive the boats now instead of you know getting beat up on front so it's kind of fun uh, returning the favor to the guys that beat me up the last few years up front so now what kind of bird is going to go through a molting period now for 30 days where they can't fly all of them mallards gadwall cinnamon teal we're catching some green wing teal we're even catching some molting pintail which is kind of unusual for california so uh but yeah it's uh the majority is mallards and gadwall and um that's pretty much the majority that we see here in California, you know, as far as our local birds. The, the reason I asked is we start teal season in 30 days, and we've got teal here now. I've never seen flocks of teal like we have right now this early, ever. Yeah, so if there's an early hatch, that could be young birds, you know, that are flying down there already and moving out. So, you know, typically typically uh, the molting progression, you know, you have your adult males that are going to molt first because they, um, as soon as they're done, um, the mom's the the hen starts incubating the eggs. That male pretty much abandons her and goes and hangs out with his other males. And so they're going to molt earlier. They're going to molt first. So we get those molting in July, August, and now uh, mid to late August is where we start seeing those females coming in to molt. So I bet you, you know, majority of those birds teal that you're seeing are going to be adult males that are already coming down, or they're going to be some hatchier birds mixed in. Because when when we get pintail showing up here, it's almost 90% adult males um, for the first couple weeks of you know that pintail migration we've never ever seen teal this many this early ever i've never seen it and i don't i don't know if we're gonna have an early winter we've had more north winds we've had north winds this summer and we usually don't have that i mean constant north wind 15 to 20 mile an hour north winds you know it's not getting cool or cold but it's cooler like right now what is it 82 degrees outside it's a nice day with this is a very unusual august but this is the third or fourth time we've been this way since first since july 4th 
and so we're already seeing the fronts coming out of the north, and I, I'm assuming that's why we have some some teal here, and we may have had some teal that that nested here. I don't know. Yeah, you know, um, there's a lot of prediction about this. You know, we're especially in the Pacific Flyway, a lot of our staging areas, you know, where these birds are going to come down and stage and then head down. Typically, a lot of those places are dry. You know, we've got the Thule Lake, Lower Klamath area that's dry. The Great Salt Lake is uh, at record lows, I think, and. Um, so you're probably seeing them just overfly those traditional staging areas and just coming on straight down. And that's what a lot of people think are going to happen here in the Valley, Sacramento Valley in California, too. A lot of birds showing up early um, looking for water and uh, there's not going to be a lot of water for them, you know. So it'll be uh, kind of interesting how everything pans out. So let me ask you this. How does the molting cycle work? Is it is it is it species based? Is it where they nest at? Like in California, these birds are, are, are molting now. What about a mallard that's in Canada? Would, yeah, it's just, um, it's just based on their nesting season, right? So as soon as they're kind of done nest nesting and, you know, raising their brood, they're going to start the molting process. So places that nest earlier, there's going to be an earlier molt. Um, places that nest later, there's going to be a later molt. So traditionally, you know, northern area is going to nest a little bit earlier if they got the resources. And... Um, so those birds, like right now, there's tons of molting pintail, I'm sure, up in Canada, mallards as well. You know, it's kind of just a this time of year for the most part is kind of the molting season, if you will, for just about all, all the birds. I thought it was earlier. I don't know why. I don't know why I thought it was earlier. Is, maybe, do geese molt earlier? Or are they yeah, also geese molting? definitely molt a little bit earlier. Yeah, like especially around here, the um, Canada geese are definitely nesting earlier than most of the mallards and gadwall. And those um, are definitely going to be molting earlier. We'll usually do our molt drives for geese in early June. Okay. So definitely earlier for, for geese, yeah. That's, you know, that's probably where I saw it because I've seen, you know, geese banding projects, and I guess that's where I saw it. You know, it's a lot earlier, and like you said, it's kind of like first, first of June. So that's probably where I came yep. up with that in my head. What, what's really crazy is, is that, and it's the way with anything in life, when someone has a, something bad happen to them, someone else benefits from it. And the North Dakota, South Dakota, Canada area being dry, someone's going to be a benefactor of that. Someone's going to have a whole lot more ducks than normal and probably a lot of geese. Or will they, Brian? Well, I mean, these birds don't just go and wither away and die, right? They move and they adjust. But what's what's going to happen is they'll overfly those areas, and then their their breeding and their production tend to tend to decrease, right? So, you know, most of the hunting you're hunting that fall flight, and that's you know that's your production. And if you have bad production, you know, you're just not going to have those big numbers. You're going to have adult birds, yeah, but, you know, they're not going to have those young, dumb birds that most of the hunters are killing anyways. Um, another just quick note about that is, yeah, you're going to have this drought year in the prairies and everything, but that's actually, on the long term, that's good for the prairies because that kind of resets the habitat and kind of is a natural progression of habitat change, right? And so that that will benefit those prairies in the long run once they get water back and stuff because it'll kind of reset um, the vegetation and stuff like that. Right. We noticed that here whenever we had our bad drought, you know, everything filled up with, uh, you know, smart weed and just all this natural kind of vegetation. And then when the rains finally did come again, there were fucking ducks all over that shit just because there was just yep. so much food in there. So yeah. everything works in the cycle. We've got a place behind the lodge. I think it's five acres that we flood. And it's probably 24 inches deep at the deepest place, maybe. And it's rained all summer. We've had a wet. We've had a wet summer, spring and summer here, and it's got grass all over it. Well, we filled it up now, and now we've got teal in it, which is early for them. But there are food sources there this year. 
I'm just thinking back to my deal with the Dakotas and stuff. Those people, those birds, I'm wondering if that's why we're not seeing some teal. They flew over those areas. There's nothing there, and they're here now. So we might, in some some places far south of that, are going to be better off to ever have better off and have more birds. But Damon Lane, who's a weatherman, a meteorologist in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City's not reached 100 degrees this year, and he said they won't with their long-term forecast. I guess he says there's three or four cold fronts stacked or cool fronts is worth it, that's going to start coming out of the north. So it's looking like we're going to have an early fall and we're going to have a lot of fronts to push that down. So I'm thinking we're going to have a pretty good duck season in North Texas this year. Yeah, it sounds like you guys got the water. I mean, that's the, the key element most people are missing is water. So uh, definitely out west here, we haven't had rain, and I can't even remember the last time it rained. And, uh, you know, unless we get some kind of push, these birds are going to be relying on kind of decomp rice water, and that's going to be in short supply this year too. So all the clubs and everywhere else are going to have to use um, deep well pumps really to flood up. And uh, they're, they're predicting pretty low amounts of water here, at least in California. So um, sounds like you guys might be better off in Texas where you've had some weather and we got, we got nothing here. I read it. I watched a documentary on uh, water. Oh, it's been a year or two ago, but it talked about the water issues in California and how detrimental the almond groves are to y'all's water source. Yeah, I mean, uh, not too many ducks are going to use almond habitat, right? And no. that, most of that most of that habitat was in some sort of habitat, either rice or some kind of upland that, in some way, shape, or form, had benefited waterfowl. Um, so we're seeing kind of that orchard encroachment, you know, into the rice country, into the wheat, you know, where a lot of these birds are nesting here. And uh, yeah, I mean. I can't even talk about the water problems in California. I mean, it's way over my head, and I'm, you know, it's just really hard to, really hard to understand it all. Um, but yeah, all our reservoirs are pretty much drained down, and uh, you know, there's curtailments for all the rice farmers, and and it's just not looking good this year. So, did you see what they did in Nevada and Arizona with Lake Powell and Lake Mead? No, they, they moved them to Tier One uh, restrictions. I guess yesterday, and they said it's historically at an 80 degree low. Well. One thing they don't ever talk about, all they talk about is climate change and drought. And there's no doubt that we're in a drought right now. But there's also Las Vegas in 1950 had 23,000 people live there. In 1980, there was 160,000 people live there. You count tourism now and the amount of people in hotel rooms, they, they're, they're sitting on a million and a half to two million people a day are there. That's why there's water problems. We don't have the infrastructure to provide water for all the golf courses and people that live in Arizona and Las Vegas. Yeah, I mean, we, we kind of have that same issue here. You know, we have these reservoirs that have been established um, really long time ago based on the California population back then. And I, I think what we're over 40 million or just some astronomical number. And, uh, you know, it's just the capacity is not there to, to keep up with that. So um, a lot of our water, you know, just kind of unfortunately goes out to the ocean, which it needs to do in part. But it also, um, you know, we had the Orville Dam scare. I don't know if you guys remember that yes. a few years ago. Um, you know, the lake was too full and it was, you know, spilling over the dam and the dam looked like it was going to break. So I think that really, um, cautioned the water policy people to keep the water low on purpose because they didn't want to have that, that happen again. And so what it led to is, you know, they're not, they're not keeping the water full when they had the water and they they let too much go. And, uh, it's, it's just, a just really bad. So you mentioned something earlier, you said that the, you know, that the prairie pothole region is extremely dry right now. And it, it would lead to bad breeding in that area. But would the, when it dries up, do the ducks leave that, that habitat or that, that 
region that maybe they went to nest in originally? Would they fly off somewhere further north or south or wherever there might be water? Yeah, so traditionally, you know, um, when there's when there's low water years in the prairies, you're going to have birds that overfly and kind of into the boreal. Mm-hmm. And um, there is some good news about the boreal. I mean, most of like the north and northwest part of the northwest territories um, in Alberta are actually in pretty good shape. Even Alaska is in pretty good shape. Um, so the, the birds that tend to nest north, more north, you know, like your green-winged teal, widgeon, um, some of like the ringnecks, um, birds like that, those actually are going to be pretty good for production. Um, it's really like your mallards, your pintail, like those prairie nesting birds that are going to have really low production. So um, the pintail definitely fly over the prairies and they go up north, but there's a lot of debate whether they nest successfully or if they nest at all. You know, sometimes they'll just go up there, um, people think, and they, they won't even nest. They just kind of go and hang out up there. But you kind of have more permanent permanent wetlands up there. And um, my understanding with the prairies and the potholes is there's there's still the permanent water there. It's those um, seasonal wetlands that are really missing. And that's kind of where you get a lot of your productivity, your food, um, and all that, you know, resources that those birds need at that time. So... Right. So the, the birds that you're seeing now, you posted a picture, what was it, yesterday maybe, that, that bird with the fucked up bill? Yeah, the duck face, man. Yeah, the, the, the original duck face. The original duck face. Do you, is, that like a, is that just a genetic flaw, or do you think like something happened to it uh, in all of its years? Because it was an adult bird, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, it's a... Uh, I mean, we're, we're creeping in on almost 4,000 birds banded this year, and it's amazing all the deformities and the, the weird things. Did you see that mallard that we caught that had the stick jammed through its leg? Uh, I don't know. I did that. see uh, that. We posted you that did? one. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty crazy. So, that I mean, that had, like, healed completely around it. And uh, so, I, you know, I don't know. I think that it's probably just a, a mutation that it had when it was born, just kind of a birth defect, I would assume. And um just she's figured out a way to survive. Just figured out a way to keep going. She was in she was in decent condition. I wouldn't say she was in great condition, but um, yeah. I mean, when you're going through that many birds, it's just amazing how many uh, you know deformities. We had one that was just completely missing a leg, and um, just you know, it's you see a lot of weird things when you get that many birds in hand. So, so if you get a one-legged duck, do you ban the one leg? <laughs> Uh, we banned the other leg. Yeah. <laughs> but if it's, if it's, if it looks like it's going to mess with the bird's survivability at all, we're not going to ban that bird. So that one, like with the stick through it, didn't get banded. you know, we just sent him on his way. How does, I'm looking at it now. How the hell does that even happen? Did it, I mean, man, I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, just, he must've just come in real hot and hit a stick just right. And it just punctured right through. I mean, uh, but that thing, you know, we tried to take it out, move it a little bit, and it was, it was, it was in there solid. That thing had grown around there. I mean, it, it happened a while ago. So, yeah, you didn't. So, if you would have had the proper equipment there, would you have tried to have done something to remove that stick? You know, it's my old boss. You know, he used to say, you know, we're just observers. You know, and right. so uh, sometimes you just let you just let it be. I mean, that guy's been getting along just fine for a while. So we, you know, we just let him go. I mean, I'm not going to sit there and perform surgery on a duck, you know, in <laughs> the middle of the night with all this other stuff going on. So no, we, we just let him go and let nature do his thing. I mean, uh, there's, there's a lot of ducks out there. Now, what was he, what was this bird like? Was he fairly healthy for having a stick jab through his leg? Yeah, the one with the, yeah, the one with the stick, he was, he was in really good shape. Yeah. So it's not fucking with him it's, that bad. 
No, yeah. I imagine that guy coming into your spread. So. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> now, you, you, you banded a Lewistic wood duck. Now, was that hatch raised or was that? Yeah, so that uh, that was part of our egg salvage program. Um, we had um, so guys that monitor their wood duck boxes. If the nest gets abandoned or the eggs hatch and the mom leaves, they'll take the eggs to our egg salvage program. Um, to one of our hatcheries, and they'll raise the hatch the eggs, raise the ducklings, and then we'll uh, release them, band them, and release them out in the wild. Um, so yeah, one of those eggs was just uh, one of those ducklings was just like a leucistic um, wood duck, male wood duck. So he was pretty cool looking. Um, I you know a lot of guys commented, oh, it's just a silver wood duck, and it's like you know this was out of a wild wood duck population box. I mean, you know it's just the genetic an- anomalies that you see coming through. So what's a silver wood duck? Is that a thing? Uh, a lot of folks in like captivity breed them. Yeah, if you Google silver wood duck, you'll see a ton come up. They're just like a ghost looking wood duck. They're pretty cool looking, but yeah, they're definitely a little different than that guy. But it's like the Mandarin wood duck. They're, they're, that's really a Chinese wood duck, correct? It's just a Mandarin duck. Yeah, I mean, um, we there's some really small resident populations of them, but. We just assume they're all escapees from aviaries that have kind of started their own population. What, where are they at? Do you see them in the United States, some local ones? Yeah, they get um, – some get harvested in some of the wildlife areas around here every year. And then uh, down like downtown Sacramento, actually, there's quite a few down in that general area. I'll be but damn. they're – you know, I would just consider them park ducks. I've never known anyone that shot a mandarin duck. That's that one over there. Yeah, right? we've got one mounted, but I bought it from a taxidermist. But you don't. I've never seen one in the wild. We've killed some Egyptian geese here. Yeah, there was there was a few of those in the Sacramento Valley too. I mean, it's hard, you know, unless anybody's doing any kind of genetic um, analysis on them or anything. You just you don't know where these birds come from. You know, like somebody shot a Baikal teal here, which is an uh, Asian kind of teal looking bird, and it's like you know, did that guy really come across the Bering Strait from Asia over here? I mean, sure, it could have happened, but. Um, you, you really don't know. I mean, how, how do you know? How do you prove it? So I yeah. thought it'd be cool, you know, if somebody uh, did like some genetic analysis of it, you know, some sta- you can do um, some genetics and stable isotope stuff to kind of try and determine the origin of some of those rare outlier birds that show up. Now, what do those what do those tests? What do they look for? Like what would signal what would signify that it was from they can. Um, my understanding is that they can take the feather um, some some tissues from the feather and and they can run um, stable isotope um, analysis on it and that'll determine um, the the area that they were eating because mm-hmm. they can base that on the different vegetation that they ate and the different um, pigments and stuff that they're associated with. Um, so there there's some way to kind of generally find that out. Um, I always thought it'd be cool. I know um, they've tried to do a lot of that stuff on Eurasian widgeon in the Pacific Flyway to try and get an origin. And they were just kind of getting close to all that, so it'll be pretty neat if any of that info ever makes it out. I've uh, one of the things that I've noticed that we're having a lot of here, and I saw a bunch in Wichita Falls two days ago, is the Mexican tree duck, whistling tree duck, fulvous tree duck. I don't know what which the actual word for it is, but we used to, ten years ago. You never saw nothing like that. They're everywhere now in North Texas. What do you what what? Why is that happening? Do you think? 
I man, I have no idea. That's out of my flyway. I've I've never seen one in my life. Never seen them in the wild, and uh, I, I honestly just don't know that much about them. But um, generally, you know, you just they're wherever they're breeding and their population is probably just in good good shape, and uh, they're just probably doing good and expanding. Is just my general guess. It's just crazy that a duck like that that always is along the Texas coast in Mexico, just in the last ten years, has decided it needs to fly farther north to stay in the summertime. And I just it's an, it's fun. I would just be interested. Why is it if it continues to be this way? How much further north are they going to go? I saw a picture. Someone had a flock of them in Nebraska this summer. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Just adapting to different habitats. My guess. See, habitat what, changes. What sucks is so many people have so much money now, and they buy these exotic animals like the the mandarin duck, or you know, there could have been a Eurasian widgeon that somebody bought, and then they escape, and then you see it, and you know. You're like, shit, did it get over here on its own, or is that just a pet that somebody lost? Right, and, you know, most of the guys, like, they'll uh, clip a clip the wing or they'll clip one of their um, toenails or whatever to tell, but it's it's still, you know, not everybody's doing that, and it's just, you never really know. But I do know that we've had, we've banded pintail here in California that get shot in um, mainland Russia, so I know that their birds are trafficking back and forth, assuming assumingly across the Bering Strait up there, and so I know there's you know, a traditional flight path, you know, from even with the snow geese that go up to, you know, Russia and Wrangell Island and, and still come back this way. So um, they're, they're definitely birds trading back and forth there. It's just how, how do you, how do you tease that out and, you know, say with certainty where these birds came from. When, yeah. when you do a banding catch like tonight, you're doing them tonight, right? Or tomorrow night? How many, how many? We're do- going, we're going to start at nine o'clock tonight and we're going to go till about five in the morning tomorrow. Oof. How many birds will you catch tonight? On average, not. Uh, we're, you know, somewhere around 500. Um, we did pretty good last week, and we did 1,500 birds in two nights back to back. So that was that was really good. So, um, we're, we usually shoot for five, six, seven hundred, somewhere in that range. Okay, out of those 500, let's just say you do 500 birds tonight. How many of them already have a band on them? You think, on average, five. Well, when we first when we first start, it's lower, right? Because we're not getting, you know, the, the the problem is is there's not a lot of water, so we're kind of confined to the same areas for the most part. So, um, like last week, we went out and the first run was all almost all recaptures from the the last time we banded in that area, and so um, we we threw a lot back, but you know we started catching fresh birds. But you know, in general, I think the first day we banded up there we had probably 25 20 recaps i think um the first couple days so we're getting a lot of birds returning to the same area is what we're seeing and you know from previous years banded and stuff and um going through all those recaptures we haven't quite gotten there yet but um it'll be interesting to see where they're coming from and where they were originally banded that is so so these are not birds that you had previously banded these are birds from somewhere else that had been banded yeah, so we, we there's kind of two two versions of recaptures, right? Good recaptures, which are old bands that we can just look at it and tell it's old, and then bad recaptures, we call them bad just because we had just banded them, you know, either the week before or whatever. And so those are it's still good information, but um, you know, if we banded a bird last week and we recaught it, it's not really telling us a whole lot of good information, right? Right. So. So those the good recaptures, you know, we're, we're I think we're up to uh, man, I had the data right here. I think we're up to forty or something total. Um, but we still have to tease out which ones are good and which ones are bad because you know we're banning in the middle of the night trying to process as many birds and as fast as we can. So you know they kind of get mixed up after the first couple nights. 
And when you when you capture these birds, what all tests do you run on them? Well, like you test them for you know bird flu and all that stuff. Um, occasionally. So we had some folks from like the USDA Department of Ag were out there one night and they tested a, a sample for avian influenza. Um, we've worked with other partners before, you know, testing them for avian influenza. So that mostly just involves a, a swab of the mouth, a swab of the cloaca, and um, occasionally we'll collect some blood from them and, and sample and let people test that. But for the most part, I mean, we it's the night lighting's fun because we call it ring and fling, where you just grab them, age them, sex them, band them, and let them go. Um, right. Not doing all the weight measurements, the wing measurements, you know, and it depends on which organization we're partnered with. Um, for that whatever project, you know, when we're putting those transmitters on, I mean, we're measuring their tarsus, their nail length, their bill height, their bill width, you know, all kinds of measurements um, just to collect more data on those birds. So, Now, when you put those on a bird, do, does the bird have to meet like a, a, a certain requirement to yeah, that way a, they can house ratio. it? Yeah, there's a ratio of bird weight to transmitter weight. I forget what it is, um, but the transmitters are getting pretty small where it's not a problem until you get into like the cinnamon teal. Um, start marking those and the green wing teal. You have to make sure you have the smaller transmitters. Uh, but yeah, we're we're pretty much done putting those out um, for the time being. We haven't had much funding um, set aside for those, and so um, that project's kind of up in the air right now. See, and you would. Do you collect, where do you collect more data from? Probably just the regular leg band just because there is more of them? Or, I mean, is there any valuable data that you can it's, collect from the transmitters? It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's different data, right? So for the transmitters, I mean, you can ping them to set every five minutes. And so you can get, um, you know, you can get more of their behavior from that, right? And you right. get like exact migration routes. You know, if, if we band a bird here and it gets shot in Alaska, I mean, we just can basically draw a straight line. But if we put a transmitter on a bird, I mean, we get that exact flight path. We get the, we can, there's altimeter, altimeter settings where you can see how high it, it's flying, how fast it's flying. Um, you can tease out nesting data from those. So, you know, if the bird's sitting in the same spot for a certain period of time, you can assume it's nesting. And um, so it's just different data. But, you know, the, it's still very important to do their general banding because that's what they're using in the models and um, stuff to help set the seasons and kind of part of that equation. So definitely really still important to keep that going and uh, just just different data, I would say. What is the average altitude that the birds migrate at? That's a great question. I don't know. I'd have to I'd have to look it up. I don't know off the top of my head. Would you rather there be more funding for like the transmitter so you could see the exact path and where they're nesting, or do you kind of like you know fill in your own puzzle out? You know, it it depends. Um, I you know I, I really want to get more Eurasian Eurasian widgeon transmitters out because I think that's a really cool little niche in the a little glitch in the the um, research. You know, nobody's really documented Eurasian widgeon nesting in North America. We assume they are, um, and we, we catch a handful of them every year when we're doing the pintail rocket netting stuff, and so um, I would love to see a couple on there. I would love to see, um, just for being a hunter in California, right, kind of taking the biology out of it, I'd rather, you know, most of the most of the stuff we're doing with the transmitters from the biology side is on hens, right, because you get all the nesting information, which is valuable, um, but they're doing it, you know, on local birds. Well, we get these birds moving in, you know, and so basically during duck season, we're not doing any transmitters. And so all those migrating birds, for the most part, during the beginning of the year in the middle of duck season, we're not really um, getting anything on those birds. And so it'd be really neat, you know, from my perspective to get more on like those mallards in the middle of duck season and then kind of watching them 
you know, where they're going. Um, even though we, we pretty much already know that we're getting most of our mallards um, locally from California, you know, like 60 to 70 percent of the mallards in California are raised in California. But it still would be interesting to see just that distribution, you know, from birds actually in duck season. So, And then what would you have to do to catch them in season? Just net them? Just get permission, yeah. You could do bait traps. You could do rocket nets. Um, probably wouldn't do the airboats. Um, but, yeah, you, you can catch them. It's just a matter of, you know, getting permission on a place during duck season. You know, that would be the right. hard part. But it's doable. You know, uh, Osborne Lab, I know you guys seen them, and they, they do a lot more stuff kind of right at the end of the season, and they're focusing, you know, kind of on those birds um, right at the tail end. You know, but they got mallards, and at that time of year we're chasing pintail. So just different species, different different things we're chasing. So. Who the hell wouldn't let you in on duck season? Because then, like, you just got this fresh bunch of banded and, you know, cool shit on all these birds that you could be hunting, maybe. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's funny. You'd think so, but, like, uh, we're going to start rocketing pintail first week of September. There's going to be enough down here, and we're going to start setting up for rocketets to catch them. And, I mean, right before duck season, man, anybody that's got water and birds, they don't want any disturbance, you know, because they want opening day to be really good and, um, you know, you're shooting rocket nets. I mean, let's be real. It's, it makes a big noise. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the birds come back the next day and sometimes they don't come back at all. But, um, so we're, we're actually stuck surprisingly on mostly the public lands because that's where we have all the partnerships and that's where, um, a lot of the habitats there. And, you know, we can really, um, get what we need to get done on, on all that public land, state and federal property. So Now, I've got a question that's way, way out there, and I'm going to look like a real dumbass probably, and I haven't done Not that. Not the first time. Nope, I haven't done it today yet, so I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> Has there been a bird that's in our flyway now? Now, this is the, you may not even have a clue on this. That is new. That's newer to our flyway than others. Like like this Eurasian widgeon, 50 years from now, Eurasian widgeons might be a real common bird on the West Coast, just like cinnamon teal is. Yeah, I mean, um, you just think of over time, you know, and how these um, flyways have changed, you know, like I know there's a lot of research going down in um, Mexico on the Mexican duck and, you know, its movements and stuff. A good friend of mine that used to work with me is doing a lot of that research. But, um, you know, like like you're saying, the Eurasian widgeon are showing up more and more in the Pacific flyway. Uh, We're definitely seeing more blue winged teal over here than we've ever seen before. And I know that's probably weird to you guys, but traditionally we don't see that many blue winged teal. Um, just like you guys don't see a lot of cinnamon teal. So I don't know if you guys are seeing influx of cinnamon teal. Um, we, we've killed more cinnamon teal in the last five years than we killed the first 25 years in business. Yeah, It seems like yeah. every year we shoot, we shoot three to cu- five. Yeah, and we used to not. I mean, we killed two, a pair of two drakes 27, 28 years ago, and then we didn't kill another one until about 10 years ago. And since then, we've been killing cinnamon teal every year now. Now... Someone's yeah. going to call me up, and they'll be wanting to book a hunt to try to kill cinnamon teal. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> it's just a, it's a luck deal. But we will kill cinnamon teal this year. I'm almost pretty positive. Because we have one place that we seem to kill them every year now. And it's, it is. It's the exact same place every year. Yeah. So Yeah, uh, so, I mean, I, I just think, you know, the shifting, shifting flyways, shifting habitats, I mean, um, it's just, you know, just that anecdotal evidence, you know, is, is showing up. Uh, like in Pacific Flyway now, we traditionally don't see that many blue geese. And uh, every year, it seems like we're seeing more and more blue phase geese um, showing up. So just, you know, things are changing. Birds are moving around. Okay, so explain this. Explain that to me because for the life of me, I do not get the different phases of a snow goose. It just, it always goes over my head anytime I've ever had it explained to me. 
So a blue goose is just a snow goose that's in a, a phase, right? Yeah. So if you uh, you think of genetic variation and you think of different color variations, you know, some animals are born with lighter fur, darker fur, and those birds are going to survive better in their environment. So what happened is uh, there was a period where snow geese, um, the environment was better suited to be a dark colored snow geese, right? Mm-hmm. So dark color, you would blend in more. And the predators wouldn't target you as much. So if you're, you know, if you're a white bird on a dark landscape, you're going to get picked off extremely fast. And so it's just years and years and years of genetic selection um, based on, you know, genetic mutation that causes the blue phase, and then that um, over time is selected to be, you know, better successful in certain areas of breeding. So what, so what you're saying is, is now what, where, whatever it was that led to a blue goose becoming a blue goose that area is coming more towards your region in California? Or, yeah, or just that habitat is, is moving and those birds are just uh, moving with that habitat. And we're seeing more blue-faced geese in Pacific Flyway than we've seen in a long time. So, I mean, it used to be extremely rare to just see them in flocks. And now, I mean, every flock you look at, you can pick out one or two, you know. And I, I spent some time in, in North Dakota with my buddy and I, I was blown away at how many blue geese there were in the flocks. I mean, it was just amazing from coming from the Pacific flyway. And why is the blue phase Ross? So it's like a coveted bird almost. It's almost like this unicorn. Yeah, they're just really rare. I mean, you just don't see a lot of them. There's a lot of debate on if it's a uh, cross with a blue face snow geese, if it's the pure Ross goose, um, you just don't see a lot of them. I think they're just where they breed. It's just not a common occurrence. But I mean, I've seen some beautiful ones and they just tend to have um, a lot crisper um, blue kind of to them and more like defined lines. And they just look, um, you know, kind of their head has like a big blue stripe going down the back. And they're just they're just a lot rare, more rare than the blue face snow. So I know there's some folks out here that get them um, every year, but they're they're just a really cool looking bird. Would there be any sort of genetic testing that could settle the debate on whether it is a pure blue phase Ross or if they bred with a blue snow? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, um, there's definitely I've seen kind of the spectrum. Um, this one one biologist put together like a pretty good spectrum of, you know, blue face snow goose, a hybrid Ross and then a pure uh, Ross blue face. So, I mean, from my understanding, they're pure blue face Roskies. There's just, you know, like anything, people are going to dispute it and talk about it and claim the difference. So, so is every snow goose capable of phasing into this blue phase or is it all just, well, it's all, um, you know, my genetics is a little rusty, but, um, my understanding is you're going to have the blue genes, and so the blue geese are going to put off the offspring um, more likely. But I think that the genetic is there where two white-faced snow geese can breed and produce blue-faced snow geese. So it's just part of their genetic makeup. And are, they're blues when they come out of the egg, right? Yes, as ducklings, yeah. So even like, a, you know, you'll see some folks that will they'll get a goofy-looking bird and it'll be an immature blue goose, and they, they'll think it's, you know, some weird hybrid or whatever. But we see that, you know, come through a little bit. But you're not going to see, like, a snow goose one year, and then, like, its color goes to, like, this blue blue phase. Of- no, 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 no. It's, it's whatever it's born, that's what it's going to be. It's going to stay either white phase or blue phase. Right, okay. Because, you know, there's debate on speckle bellies, you know, with the bars being genetics or age or whatever. But... From my understanding, all juvenile speckle bellies have this clean belly. It's a, you know, there's no bars on yeah, it, Yeah, right? for, the, 
for the early part of the year, but they'll start replacing those belly feathers in the middle part of the year, and you'll start to see a little bit of the speckling coming up. But, you know, the they're called the white white, white, front. fa- uh, white fronted goose, right? And that's the, the white bar above their nose. Mm-hmm. And that's really where they get that name from. And the juveniles will have kind of a broken bar most of the year, and then the, the adults will have like a really nice, cream, clean, crisp white bar on the, above their face there. So the, 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 the specks with the solid black, the, the complete, like we've killed some sometimes, the whole damn breast is black completely. Yeah, the tar well, bellies. Yes. Yeah. Will they change in their lifetime, or will they, they have that same belly their whole life? They, you know, my understanding is they'll molt and they'll still have, like, that really dark coloration. So they'll um, – um, I don't think it's been correlated to age right. as far as, like – um, really dark, you know, age correlated with, yes, bars, it's an adult, you know, no bars, most likely a juvenile. But as far as like the intensity of the barring and stuff, I have not seen any correlation or any studies that tie it to uh, older birds versus younger birds. That's the bird that's growing the most in our whole, out of all the waterfowl. Is the speck population the strongest and growing more every year than anything else? It's it's doing really good. Yeah, the reports I heard this year um, for our birds up in Alaska and stuff, uh, great production, great great water year. So um, we should be seeing a lot of those birds coming down. Where do you get your speckle bellies from in Alaska? A lot of them are from uh, just the uh, north slope of Alaska. Um, and um, the Yukon Delta, YK Delta, Bristol Bay, kind of that area. And, um, you know, those birds are all pushing down the Pacific Flyway. Where's none of it at from there? Uh, northeast uh, Canada, so kind of northeast Arctic, way up in the Arctic, North Arctic. Do y'all get any of your birds from there? Any of your specs? Oh yeah, we get we get snow geese, definitely snow geese from there. Um, I'm not sure about the white friends, but yeah, definitely snow geese. We we get a lot of our specs from none of it, and we used to get a bunch of them from a place called uh, McGrath, Alaska. I think is the name. Tom Merritt Wildlife Refuge or something was the huh. name of a place. And my, a lot of my old bands, that's where they all come from. Hmm. Yeah, nope. but yeah, if if we if we shoot a banded speckle belly, it's from none of it, hundred like almost ninety five percent of the time. Hmm. Yeah, and, we don't. There's not a lot of banded white fronts in that we get in the Pacific Flyway. Whoever the hell named that the white front screwed up. Like it's uh, speckle belly. <laughs> it just you know, yeah. my five my six year old could be like, oh, that's a speckle belly. Like, and he never even sees the white front. Like what the hell? Right. Took me forever yep. to figure out why the hell we even called it that. Yep. But it's a speckle um, belly. Yeah. Yep. It, and then um so the feet on like a on like a mallard. They get they change colors. They change hues throughout the year. What does that have to do with anything? Because the the old wives tell is you see this red leg on a mallard and it's from like, you know, northern Canada or some shit like that. What does that have to do with? Well, they're, they're using blood to regulate the temperature in their feet. So when you see, typically you see the darker colors is associated with more blood pumping through their feet to keep their feet warm. So, um, you know, you hear that wives tale a lot and it's really just associated with their body regulating heat through their feet. Cause if you think about it, that foot's down there exposed, um, to the cold, to the water, they have to keep, keep blood and stuff flowing through there. And it's, it's also probably somewhat related to diet. You know, they have to get those pigments through their diet to keep that color up. And so, you know, I would see a, a nice big orange-footed bird who's, you know, looking really good. And I would just consider that guy's in good body condition. You know, that's really what I would associate that with, not necessarily where it came from. 
because that would make sense. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, um, because you know your your earlier birds that you shoot, you know October, November, the early mallards kind of have like this yellowish yellow foot color, and then as it progressively gets colder throughout the winter, that's when you see the the shift in their in their foot color. So it's probably like you said, it's probably just good diet and then healthy blood flow down there. Right, and you also got to think those birds um, that you're shooting early are probably going to be the younger birds, mm-hmm. and those younger birds are probably not as good as you know getting the resources to have those nice flashy colors to attract a female. You know, I mean that's really the ultimate goal is to to get the resources to grow your feathers to look pretty to attract the female and to have her select you. You know, and I mean that's really what they're thinking about um, most of the year, trying to trying to compete for those resources and. Um, you know, those younger birds, you know, they have to learn, learn that process. And so you're going to have the older birds are going to get to those resources first and have those nice, pretty colors first to to attract the females. Now, when is that pecking order established for, for breeding that spring? Um, it usually, I mean, it'll start, um, November. We'll start seeing kind of, you know, the pairs kind of start forming, um, the courtship flights and mallards. Um, definitely the pintail will start their courtship flights a little earlier and, um, and, and we'll start seeing those mallards, you know, we're working hard to attract the mates and, um, sticking around. And then, you know, for us, by the time a December, January rolls around, I mean, there's a lot of pair bonds already established and already formed in those, um, you know, kind of some of the late season tactics for us is, you know, you want birds find comfort with other birds, but they don't want to be too close, you know? So you kind of set out a little pair here, pair there, and, you know, and kind of make it more relaxed look instead of, you know, like a big party, come on down here and party look. So. Right. I've noticed that. I've noticed that a lot too, especially like with, with, and there's a couple different reasons. A lot of times later in the year, the, the fields that we're hunting in, they're kind of lower on food. So they'll, they'll naturally kind of the, you'll see the birds the night before and they're naturally kind of just spread out just a little bit more. But like you said, though, it, it, they're probably also, you know, that kind of groups have been established and they're like, ah, you know, we don't have to go over next to Jim, Bob and Tammy because they're going to slip you a Mickey and, you know, then you'll be going home with Jim, Bob instead of me. So, right. Yeah. But it, I, I do yeah. notice that later in the year, um, kind of like you said, you just set something a little bit looser and pairs here and there. and. Yep. And then you have like, you know, your birds like pintail, widgeon and stuff that just stay in big groups generally, you know, and, but you know, they're forming those pair bonds, you know, probably a little bit later. So just, just depends on what you're, what you're targeting too. So how does a mallard get laid? Like what, what, what are his (laughs) tactics? Not, 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 not physically, but like, what does he do to attract that, that female that's out on the marsh? I think he's a rapist. Well, I mean, he's got to oh, like. He's we, can't, gotta be, we can't say that anymore. We have to say forced copulation. So for, we have to be careful. Yeah. Forced copulation. <laughs> they changed it in the duck literature, you know. So you got to be shitting me. Well, forced no, forced copulation. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. But no, I mean, uh, they they really are just battling it out. You know, they the the whole the whole the whole name of the game is the males choose who do they, they display for, right? So they choose a female that they want to display for. And then that female chooses the male that they perceive to be the most fit or the best, uh, best in shape. And so you have these males, you know, constantly competing with each other, um, trying to, you know, show off in front of the other one, trying to find resources. You know, if a male has good a good resource and he leads that female there, you know, that's probably brownie points for him. Um, <laughs> and then just just fighting off the other males, you know, and really just showing, um, you know, displays. You know, they'll try and I mean they're. 
they're pretty for a reason. I mean, that's why they're the male ducks are so beautiful is they're they're trying to attract that female and they're trying to get her attention and they're trying to keep her um, keep her. You know, so once they kind of establish those pair bonds, then they'll actually they do like they call them mock copulations where they're actually like pretend to have sex and kind of see if it works or doesn't work. You know, <laughs> and um, and they'll go from there and then um, yeah, they'll just they'll breed and. Uh, and, you know, once, you know, you do hear about the duck rape or forced copulation, and that kind of happens later, you know, once the females are on their break or, you know, when they get isolated or something. And that's when the, you know, bachelor groups of males actually will kind of target birds and go after them and, and force themselves on them. So that's definitely a real thing. Now, when that and, happens, and, go ahead. And, and I would say mallards are more aggressive, you know, than other birds for the most part. But, you know, mallards and gadwall, um, that's what we see around here. But, yeah, those are they're, they can be pretty aggressive. Now, when the force copulation, that's a, that's a nice word. <laughs> Kudos to whoever came up with that one. There you go. When this yeah. happens, is the male that was originally paired with her, is he still in the picture or is he already gone and done by then? Um, it could be a little of both. It's hard to say. You know, it just depends on where, what time of what what the timing is. You know what what happens a lot of times is, um, you know, the the female is is incubating her eggs right. and she has to take a break, right, to go get food and water for herself. So a lot of the times during that period, you're going to have like those outside males um, come in, and that's when the the original male potentially is still around, but he might not be either. You know, he might have taken off and. And left her, you know, like a bad dad and went and did his thing and left the kids and mom on their own. Um, and, and then, so, like, how do they know, like, when she's in season? Um, it's just uh, the hormones and everything, I think, changes. I'm not really sure, but um, they just, you know, the just the way they figure it out, kind of like deer ruts, you know, they just kind of know when it's time. Right. And the, the, the hormones and stuff change on both of male and female, and, and everything just kind of happens. Because, I mean, you got these horny males running around, and it's like they, they, you'd figure that they would know, like, she's already laid her eggs, she's incubating eggs, and, like, she's not what you would consider in season for this forced copulation to pass on genetics. Yeah, they can, uh, right, but they, so they can, like, re-nest and stuff, and they actually have, like, a pretty crazy sex organism inside the females where they can like store semen right from or yeah oh, wow. semen from other ducks and they can like excrete it in when they're producing the eggs to fertilize them and so they can almost um store from like different males and select kind of which one how to release it to fertilize the egg it's pretty interesting oh wow that's fascinating i did not know that oh. yeah. so how long do you think that they could store it for um, I'm not sure. I wouldn't imagine super long, but I know that they can for, for small periods of time. I'm not exactly sure what the time frame is on that. That's fascinating. And so, yeah, you uh, got these males and they're peacocking out there trying so that, so will they get multiple? Right, yeah, they're just, what's that? Can they get multiple hens like coming their way? And then like, you know, uh, yeah, usually, I mean, for the most part, the traditional, they're going to establish a pair bond. They're going to stay with that partner. Um, and you know, ducks, they typically um, choose a new mate every year, right? Where ducks are going to mate for life, typically, or I mean, geese, geese mate for life. Ducks, ducks pick a new mate every year. But it's it. If you had a mate last year and you were successful, then you know we've seen it um, where they're they're going to still select the same mate year after year, just because it was you know if it worked last year, let's do it again this year, kind of thing. Um, but it, it it I don't know how the hell they keep their mate straight. 
You know, I don't either. You get you get this great big winter mass of ducks and geese, and then like they fly off, and they're like, oh yeah, there she is. There's that old there's that old ball and chain. I didn't lose her. Well, fuck no, right, she's yeah, usually got five it. drakes and one hen in a flock. Well, how does she know which drake is hers? How does I she know who her bow is? It's the gangbang cycle, Jeff. Or, well, then you think so of the pretty. geese, right? You yeah. got all the geese that made for life. I mean, how do they know each other? They get mixed up too. I mean, it's crazy. It just makes you understand that they have a more more social recognition than you know we give them credit for. I mean, we look at them and it's just a, a goose, you know. But they can, I mean, they are obviously picking out individuals. They yeah. all look the same. Yeah, I mean, it's fast. Like I'm looking at a, <laughs> a I'm looking at a Canada goose here, and there's a Canada goose beside it, and. It's got a white cheek patch and a black head. Aside from that, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just special vocalizations. I don't know. I don't know what they're cueing in on, but there's somehow they're they're able to identify individuals. I mean, it's pretty pretty apparent with their nesting. You know, picking mates continuously. Do you, do you remember ten or fifteen years ago when there was the paint company come out that had the paint? Oh yeah. That was had some kind UV. of white. Was it UV? Yeah. That that because uh, they say waterfowl can't distinguish colors. No, they say they, the the argument with this was is that the they think, and this company's gone now, so I'm guessing it was bullshit. They thought that waterfowl saw on the UV spectrum. So if you painted your decoys with this special paint that was on the UV spectrum, that it would be more attractant to ducks and geese. Yeah, I've heard that too. You're not supposed to pee in your decoys, right? Because right? they can see the. <laughs> right. So yeah, I've I don't never know. heard I mean, that. Ducks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. Um, I know they definitely see different than us, right? Because they have their eyes plastered on both sides of their head, so they don't. We have a unique vision where we're, you know, we're 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 focusing with two eyes on the same thing, where they have just a complete different vision, um, and it, I think it's just hard for people to perceive that difference of of seeing right you know like you think of snakes and they're sensing heat you know right. or bats using echolocation i mean it's just crazy um the different processes that animals can use that it's just hard for a human brain to kind of comprehend i mean i can't comprehend how a bat uses echolocation to pick off bugs in the middle of the night i mean that's just crazy you know so um yeah definitely they don't see like us but I don't, i'm not too sure about that uv stuff i mean i've heard it I just, you know, I laugh at the don't pee in your decoys thing. I think that's always pretty funny. So, Listen, I'm not walking away. I, I'll walk away to take a dump, but I'm not walking away <laughs> to take a leak. Like, it's going to happen yeah. right there. Um, I, I kind of equate it to what I think a bird sees. Like, it's kind of like that GoPro, you know, when it's got, like, the wide vision. That, yeah. In my mind, that's kind of how I think a bird sees. Like, it's wider, and, you know, you, you're more detailed on the sides, but kind of in the middle, it's kind of like this fucked up, you know, little right, horseshoe yeah, looking exactly. thing. Yep. And that, I mean, you look at, look at all the, the, the flagrant colors that these birds have. I mean, they're obviously picking out detail, you know, but as far as how much detail from the hunting side of things, you know, I mean, that's, that's where you're getting into, into the, the, you know, what's, I am. You know, if your your decoys are more realistic, you're going to shoot more birds, or you know how fast they're flying by, or what they're seeing, you know, picking up on the UV paint or whatever it is. So it's like the uh, it's always funny when you're putting out decoys, and like especially back in the day when we used to use shell decoys, and you didn't have you'd have 36 shell decoys, and you'd have 33 heads. And guys, well, there's not three heads here. If that bird gets close enough to notice that decoy's not got a head on him, he's plenty close enough for us to shoot. So don't worry about it. Right. Yeah, yeah. There was a period when I got into flocking all my decoys. Right. I, 
I went and flocked my whole little refuge spread. And I mean, I, I liked the look, you know, it gave it like a real softer kind of feathery look to it. Mm-hmm. But whether I killed more birds or not, man, I couldn't tell you. I just know, you know, setting up for goose decoys. Um, if we, we set a big spread and we leave those decoys out overnight and it gets that kind of moisture on them, I mean, it's, it's death to the geese. They're not going to come anywhere close with that big water shine on them. And so that, that flocking definitely works in that situation because it softens it up. But Yeah. I think, especially with like dive bomb, because they've got the flocked heads on the Canada's, I think it just adds like an extra bit of contrast to where you stand out in your fields. But it's, yeah. it's funny, um, about seven, eight years ago, we got on the full body train. Like that's all we were running with was full bodies. And when we started switching back to silhouettes, our clients were like, wait a second, like, how, how, how is this going to work? Cause like, you know, the past two years we've been using these big full bodies and now all of a sudden we're doing these two dimensional decoys. Like it ain't going to work, but it, you know, and then you kind of, you go into the science of how a bird sees and you know, like we're going to be fine, but it's amazing that how many people, and I see this from professionals, they, they bunch their, their decoys. A lot of times are just, their silhouettes are just like way too tight. And it's like, listen, that bird, you got to figure out how that bird's going to come in. And, like, if it's that close, it's not going to see half of your decoy spread. So, like, you got to spread these things out just a little bit more than you would uh, a full body. Yeah, and I, you know, I've never really used silhouettes until, like, the last couple years. But it was kind of, you know, neat. Like, if you set them right, you know, and the birds are flying, it actually gives a feel of motion because they're disappearing and showing up. And, um, you know, I never really thought about that before until, you know, we started, you know, using some here and there. So it makes a difference for sure. So when you're when you're doing this this night, this night lighting, will the broods, will they like bust up or will they, for the most part, try to stay together? They mostly stay together. So if you see a brood, um, there's usually going to be a mom with them. And um, traditionally what they do is the, the mom's going to act like she's injured and yeah. she's going to kind of flap away. And so you you go scoop her up first. So you try and keep them together. And then you come back and the brood usually um, – we're I mean, we're not going to grab little tiny ducklings, right? We don't want to – if they're not going to fit a band, we're not going to mess with them. We're not trying to break up you know, their brood. Um, with the mom and stuff so they've got to be pretty old for us to pick them up you know like you know not not quite almost flight capable but getting getting closer to that stage you know at least uh i'd say four weeks old right um and so you know typically they're going to just stay together and you can just scoop them right up pretty easy um when the broods i i what i can't figure because where what bird was that in michigan that when we went to uh oh it was a kill d and it did the same it would Push you away from kill deer. Yeah, but, kill deer, kill deer, kill deer. But, yeah. but I think I, th- I think it was male and female together, and the male yeah. would run off, and he'd act like he was injured. The female would stay on the nest. She was a mean bitch too. <clears throat> yeah. But it, it fascinates me that more birds don't try that tactic. Like have the male stay around all year, help the female out, but they just leave. Yeah. Them. Yeah, they leave them. Well, you got to think about where they're nesting too, right? Those. Those hens are nesting typically in upland field cover, you know. You throw a drake in there, he's going to stick out like a sore thumb, well, right? Too, that nice, too. fully colored drake. So um, just different habitat, yeah. different strategies. I saw, something, I saw something interesting. We were in Mexico just last week, and they had a guy that would come there with a hawk to the resort. I've never seen this before, and he had the leather glove on and stuff, and this hawk would fly up and land around the hotel, and it was keeping the blackbird, the, cra- the like crackles, or, or what are they called? Grackles. They was trying to keep the grackles away from there. 
And one of the grackles had a nest there, so he would bomb at this freaking eagle. And this is just some Mexican hawk or eagle this guy had, but it was to keep the grackles away from the resort, you know, away from the food court and stuff. And I've I've been to Mexico a dozen times. I've never seen them do that before. But they had a guy that had a had a just worked a bird, and I guess he worked all the different resorts and would go from resort to resort. And that bird would get up and fly and perch himself around the resort, like around the pool, and it would push all those birds away, and then they'd go to the next place. Yeah, just figure that out for a golf course and keeping can the geese out of there, and you'll be a millionaire. Yeah. There you go. So <laughs> does anybody know why the goose doesn't display these marvelous colors? Because, I mean, you think about a pheasant and the male, bright and shiny, ducks. Are there any ducks that are all the same color? Um, Mex- I mean, Mexican ducks. You get into Mexican kind ducks. of the Mexican ducks. Like, I mean, even the gadwall are really kind yeah, of drab, close. you know, considering. Um it's just different selection styles, you know, just different strategies for, for breeding and, um, you know, dimorphic or monomorphic birds, you know. So, like, your dimorphic two colors, you know, male, female, different sexes, they're just more or less different um, strategies, you know, that these birds have kind of evolved and just kind of just taken on. It's just – it's crazy to me how we're here. It, I don't know. Just like when you, when you factor in the whole spectrum of things – the fact that here we are now, it, it's just, it's amazing that these birds got here. And it's amazing that they do it every single year successfully. Right. Because, I mean, yep. you'd figure that hen, she'd just be sitting, she's literally a sitting duck for a predator. But, yep. I mean, she blends in so well with camouflage. And then, the bitch of it is, you raise these ducks, and then, like, then you're even more handicapped. Because you got to make sure that your ducks make it to water if a predator oh, yeah. shows up. I mean, it's just... It's fascinating yeah. to me that... And, you know, I mean, almost every brood, there's going to be ducklings that get picked off or killed or whatever. So, you know, think about being that mom duck just watching their kids getting picked off left and right, you know, just trying to lead them to safety, you know? I mean, it's, uh, it is not easy being a duck, especially, you know, a female duck nesting. So it's definitely tough. Yeah, it, it's fascinating. It's good stuff. Uh, so you've got a, what, a five-hour drive now? Yep, yep. We've got a five-hour drive, go meet the crew, meet the rest of our, you know, our team, and uh, go band ducks all night. How many, more, uh, how many more nights are you going to do this? This might be the last night, yeah. We're, we're making – this might be our final push, so we're kind of trying to we're, – we're closing in on 4,000 birds, and we need uh, about 600 tonight to make that happen, and then we'll be doing pretty good. So. And then uh, what would you say next is – rocket netting pintails in september yeah usually the first week of september we kind of you know do our little dove hunt september 1st and then we really get serious about catching pintail and usually that time of year there's enough um in the sacramento valley where we can start chasing them and start shooting rocket nets at them and catching them when is your when's your slow time of year uh duck season surprisingly yeah yeah Yeah, it works out pretty good if you like to duck hunt um but that's you know we catch up on our reports we catch up on our you know um getting all our data analyzed getting all our bands into the bbl just all that all that busy work you know right and then uh we're also we also get involved with the hunt program with cwa so we we actually go and i'll go and host hunts you know at some of our properties and kind of take care of the hunters and uh, make sure they get out to the blind safe and all that stuff and hang out while they hunt. So perfect. Well, listen, man, we really yep. appreciate you coming on. I know you got a long drive ahead of you and a hell of a long night tonight. Um, yep. that, that five hour drive is 32 miles. Don't let the kid just <laughs> California. Uh, Windy no, roads. A little longer than that. Yeah. <laughs> I, hopefully the roads aren't all closed with all these damn fires everywhere. So what we'll started that? Was it a cigarette butt or was it just natural? 
Um, I'm not, you know, I think it's part of the power lines um, on the big fire that we got going. The Dixie fire is pretty big. I, I haven't heard 100%, but it sounded like there was some down power lines kind of by the origin of where the fire started. Um, then there was another one just started south of us. So, yeah, they're just, they're all over the place. It's California's burning up. California's either mudslides, wildfires, Santa Ana winds, or earthquakes. Yeah. But- I mean, in 20, what was it, 20... 20- 14 it was flooding too you know yeah. so it's just crazy um the ups and downs everybody wants to live out there at the land of fruit and nuts that's right it's a beautiful place other other than the fires and the mudslides and the earthquakes have you ever and been through an earthquake have you been through an earthquake i mean i've uh, felt them but i wouldn't say like you know not like the close to the epicenters or anything no, nothing really crazy but it's just, yeah we, when i lived in tahoe you'd, the house would definitely shake a few times is that freaky uh, not too bad. I mean, it was never bad enough that we were worried about it. You're just kind of like, what the heck? You're, you, you know, it happens. You're like, what? What is it? You're like, holy crap, it's an earthquake, you know? And you kind of, and then it's over, you know? It's not, it never really been any, um, anything crazy. But what was it, 92 or whatever, when the Bay Area and all that crazy earthquake happened there? I mean, my grandparents lived pretty close to that. And, you know, they had some cracking in their house and they definitely felt it. But, uh, yeah, that was, well, a, bad, that was a bad one. That was the year of the World Series it happened. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yep. There was I, another one in like the early 1900s in San Francisco, wasn't it? Like swallowed oh yeah. those yeah, cable really cars wiped, and yeah. stuff. Wiped the yep. fucking town out. Yeah. Here's the thing: yeah. is is like a tornado, you get underground. If it's flooding, you get on your roof. Right. For an earthquake, <laughs> what do you what are you supposed to stand in your doorway? And it's unpredictable, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're you know uh, where we're at in California, my little zone, just north of Sacramento, we're really not too close to all that earthquake activity. You know, a lot of it's the Bay Area, Southern California, you know, the San Andreas Fault um, down south. So um, it's funny you guys think associated with earthquakes because in my, my mind, I mean, it's like it's just not doesn't happen around me at all. So not that big a deal where what? I'm at yet. Shit my pants. We jinx the shit out of stuff. So if you live in Southern California, oh, you better be prepared. There's going to be a fucking earthquake yeah. next week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we appreciate you coming on here, Brian. Um, hopefully you slow down enough. You can crank up that podcast again. And uh, if you ever need any help or anything like that, I'd be happy to help you with that. So. And y'all have a great season. God bless yeah, you luck and good luck to y'all. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, thanks for having me on, and uh, man, maybe I can make it out there someday and get a sand hill to hunt crane in or something. We would uh, love to have you anytime. anytime. Just make yeah. your way out here. Say when. See you, bud. Be safe All on right. the road. Thanks, guys. Bye. All right. Got it. You made it that time, didn't you? Woo! Fast hands, Jeff. Fast fucking hands. Just like that. Fast hands. Could have been a wide receiver. You, you, yeah. As fast as my hands you, are. Uh, Bruce Lee ain't got shit on me. He's dead. I hope not. Exactly. Um, did you see today where the leader of the Taliban is taking more questions than our president has from the U.S. Oh, press? Well, he's got a lot going on, Jeff. He's got a lot of good news going on if you're a Talibaner. I saw where all the, the women teachers in Afghanistan were did not go to work today. Can you blame them? No. What a, what a fucking mess. Horrible, horrible situation. A lot of prayers for the Christians in Afghanistan especially. And for our soldiers getting to bring home. So I'm glad our soldiers are coming home, but it's a bad deal. This could have been a little bit better thought out, probably. But they have, Everything this administration has touched has turned to shit. I heard something interesting. So did you watch his Biden's press conference Fuck yesterday? no. I ain't wasting my time. Okay. Did you see, like, any of the highlights from the press conference? I don't think there are any highlights of it. He blamed Trump. Well, he of said, course he, he did. He said this was an agreement that was agreed upon by my by President Trump. Well, blah, so blah, was blah. the border wall and everything else, and we fucking threw that away. Exactly. 
Was that what why, you going to say? Yeah. Why oh. is this the one agreement <laughs> yeah. that you were like, oh, can't do away it's, with this one? It's because they didn't. You've have, done. You've done away with uh, pipeline. Uh, you've done away with the pipeline. You've done away with uh, the. Uh, it's not coming to me right now. The Paris Accord. The Paris Accord. Yeah, everything. You've you've undone everything that President Trump has done. This is the one thing where you're just like, yeah. nope, fuck it. He did it. We're we're gonna by God, this is the one we're gonna honor. This is the one, the, right? The deep state's taking a big L on this one. The border, you've reversed it. Everything from top to bottom that President Trump did, you've reversed. But this is the one thing where you're just like, that son of a bitch did this. Logan Pyatt had an interesting thing this morning he was talking to me about he tried to facetime me today and uh he says that now he's a q he's guy, a q guy that isn't that something you gotta like put a disclaimer yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got an interesting he's point. a great guy but he's now, a q hold on he's a q guy so let's just see where this goes he says that uh <laughs> afghanistan and pakistan will be at a war here in a couple of years over cobalt and then the deep state will go in and save it, so we can get the cobalt from pa- from no, Pakistan. I've read that. I've read that already. That China and Russia are going to get the cobalt. Well, he thinks that the deep state is setting this up to be a war with Pakistan, so the United States can go get it. But Just see, telling you what. We, that sounds like something Q would say. Yeah, there is no doubt about it. There's something going on out there besides that we don't just. The Democrats don't, or the deep state doesn't agree with Trump on something. Just move about. Trump would have had it better handled. First of all, those people were scared to death. Fucking Trump, and they wouldn't have done this shit. I don't know what the answer you, is. You we can't can say yes keep, or no. We can't keep, you can't. It's kind of like saying in March of last year we should have done this and that. Right. It's easy to say that now. We needed to get our kids home years ago. And but I, there's a reason that we have not had another 9-11 That's exactly years. right. And, and that maybe, is the best point. maybe it was us being over there. Yep. But I, I, I don't know. There's so much that, that has gone on the last 24 hours. I can't go on social media. We, we announced the giveaway. It came out t- this morning. Your phone been blowing up. It had, and I, 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 I cannot go on social media because everybody's a fucking expert on what we should be doing in Afghanistan. Um, I'm talking about. Did you be in a lot of blown up on the social? Yes, media? but yeah. I'm telling you, I cannot go on social media to see what's going on. To look at what's going on with me. Oh, I've been looking at our stuff. I'm not really worried about all that shit. Everybody's you go on, you go on Facebook, and everybody's this five star general. Yeah, but they'll now. change that in a day or two. It's old. Twitter's the same way. News. Instagram's the same way, and I, I just, it's way too depressing for me. I, I don't. So I, I didn't watch the news. I didn't watch the press conference. I made a snippet before the press conference of what he was going to say. Blame Trump. Blame Trump. If you're an LGBTQ, we got all those people safe. We br- we brung back the the uh, rainbow flag from Cabal that we'd hung up. If you want to have sex change operation, you're in the military. We'll let you do it, and we're going to give you 25 percent more money for your food stamps so you can get through this pandemic. The Social Security people are fucked. We're not going to do nothing for them. Because they paid into the system, so we shouldn't give them a thing back. See. And that's and we're going to blame Trump some more. And that's basically what happened yesterday. <laughs> Did you see? Oh, he didn't mention social, uh, social security. It no, is, no, no, it no. Is but fuck, that is that it is, is a fucked is. enterprise, though. And we've argued over that. It's it, the people paid into it. It's their money. It's a fucked enterprise, Jeff. They paid into it. I understand. What generation is it that's going to just be done with it? I guess when everybody that paid into it's dead. I don't understand where you get off that it's an entitlement. It's not. I'm not saying that it's an entitlement, but I'm saying it's gonna. It's not gonna be having any money by the time I oh, get there. Oh fuck! They've for, been saying that for forty years, Jeff. If the politicians leave the fucking thing alone, it'd be fine. You're correct, but they're, they're not stealing. Gonna leave, they're, they're not gonna get rid of it because they're, they're not stealing gonna from leave it. it alone. Well, of course they're not gonna leave it alone because they're stealing from it. But what generation do we rip the bandaid off? Like, listen, there's not gonna be any social security. It's a it's a dead horse. 
the politicians will never do that because they've got to take that money all the time. So they can spend it on something else. They rob Peter to pay Paul. I'll never see a dime of Social Security. Well, I'll never see a dime leave, of it. You may not live long enough to get to it. You might be right. It ain't going to be around. It will, too. It, it ain't, ain't going to be around, Jeff. Okay. Trust me. How old are you? 33. 33 years old. So in 29 years, it's going to be gone. Bullshit. Gone away. Yeah, well, we'll see. What? I mean, do you want me to look it up? Look up what? There's when nothing to look up. When it's going to go away. When the experts say... Who the fuck is the expert? On, so, on Social Security? Yeah. I don't know. A politician? We need to find, we need to find That's one. That's our problem. We got a bunch of fucking politicians running shit, not people. To, let the military be ran by the military people. I'm talking about Social Security. Well, Social Security is ran by a fucking politicians. Someone they appoint that don't know shit, just like everything else in our country. You know? Let the guy in California be in charge of the ducks that knows ducks. Don't get fucking Gavin Newsom, one of his buddies he's going to give a job to, that's going to be elected or appointed as president of California DNR, whatever the hell they call it. The Same last with us. Who sets our fucking waterfowl lot, uh, seasons? Somebody that's Some on dipshits the, that don't have a clue what they're doing. They're on the uh, yeah. coast. Uh, two of them are. The other two, who knows where they're at? The last official projection by the Social Security Administration indicated... The funds could run out in 2035. Mm-hmm. Well, look, 14 years. I can do that math. Yeah, well, and the, it won't happen. At which 70 at which point 79% of the promised benefits would be payable. And ain't, checks are going to bounce, Jeff. It'll never do it. They're going to bounce. Well, what, what, what other Paul are they going to find to rob? They're going to keep pulling money in. They're not going to cut it off because they don't want to take them their, all that money away from themselves. That's what you don't understand. Every week they get a big fucking bunch of money. They're not going to turn that down. I'm not saying they're going to turn it down. I'm saying they're not going to be able to write a check. Oh, they'll be able to cover it. We just we're just going to pass the three trillion dollar stimulus package for a week. So that, it'll be a bunch of more fucking money to a bunch of fucking idiots that don't want to do shit. It'll be the Social Security bailout. We need four trillion dollars to bail yep. out Social Security so that so that these elders that have paid in can get their money that should be in an account waiting on them. That's right. It should be. But it's not. Because the thieving bastards are politicians. Um, Ain't nothing more worthless than a fucking politician. From either side of the party. It's a little ugly. Start out with George Bush, Jimmy Carter, Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, all fucking worthless. Anyway. Worthless is Michelle Obama's penis. This was a very good podcast otherwise. It was a very good podcast. Until you brought it down with that Afghanistan talk. And Social Security. What Afghanistan talk? You brought it up, Jeff. You said, did I see the press conference? I said, hell no. No, you brought it up before. No, I don't really care. I feel sorry for all the soldiers that served over there, all the soldiers that were lost over there. God bless them. Two people have died for you, Jesus Christ and the U.S. soldiers. Do you know we have not had a casualty over there in 18 months? That's good. 18 months. because we had a real president. So. You think there's some voters remorse right now? Honest Democrats that really do. You think there's a voter remorse? I hope so. I, I can't imagine people that are thinking, you know. But Things it, are really looking good nowadays. <laughs> you know, Midge, looks good. I watched Good Morning America today, and by gosh, we're doing good. We got the boys coming back from Afghanistan, that border wall down there. Yesterday, three of the mainstream medias, 47 seconds is all between the three of them on the, on the border last week. That's it. They didn't talk about shit down there. Wow. So Midge, in the middle of Buffalo or Utica, she's thinking that things on the border Peoria. are really nice. She's in Peoria. We all know where Midge is. Oh, they got the, the borders all secured. We got those poor little, poor little bilingual how, kids that need education. The, I don't see how the mainstream media avoids this debacle, but they'll figure out a way. Because we 
buy sponsorships. And not we as in me, but people do. Quit buying local sponsorships at your local ABC, NBC, and CBS, and Fox. If you quit doing that shit and buying local, eventually the nationals will catch up. That's what you got to have to do. I'm doing my part right now, Jeff. Boy, I've caught more shit over your Roadhouse fans. Everybody loves Roadhouse, Jeff. No, they don't. Everybody loves Everybody Roadhouse. Everybody just says they can afford to take Midge there and spend $100. That's what it's about. Midge and Peoria. Yep. They're going to Texas Roadhouse. Well, yeah. You're going to get a steak that is a 7.3 <laughs> for 20 bucks On a scale of 1 to 20. Jeff. It's the lubies of it, steakhouses. It ain't that bad. <laughs> it's decent at best. It's a good steak for a nice price. You can go there. You can have you a nice beer, nice cold beer. Last time I looked, it was 33 degrees. Last time I was in Roadhouse, you're going to get a nice baseball steak, a nice baked potato. And you know what? You're not going to have to break the bank to do it. Nope. That's Heaven right. fucking forbid, Jeff. Yep. Heaven forbid. Copper Creek. You're insane. They sent me a gift card. They should have. The they way did. you were fucking I sent me a $200, for $250 gift card. I said, thank you very much. Me and Michelle will get us two meals there. No, two meals it'll and get a couple you of two, That'll get you an appetizer and a margarita. It's 150 bucks to eat there for a nice meal. <laughs> nice sit down. Nice service. Nice service. They have great Nobody service. Nobody has there. nice service. We're in the middle of COVID. They did. Nobody has Creek. nice service. Yes, they do. Nobody Copper has Creek. nice service. Everybody's hurting. If you go to Abilene, Texas, you want a good steak, go to Copper Creek. Well, yeah, they're sending you gift cards. Tell let me Jeff, think of some place. Tell them Jeff Stanfield. Let me think there. of some place that I want to have a gift card from, and I'll plug them. Does, I really hope that you got a gift Roadhouse card. Does Roadhouse really have gift cards even? I'm sure they do, Jeff. Do they? Applebee's does. <laughs> that's another horrible place. I'm not on Applebee's. They're, that's horrible. P.F. Chang's is good. P.F. Chang's ain't bad. It's very good. All right. Thank you all for listening to us. God bless you all. Have a great weekend. I'm going to go to Roadhouse after this. Check out all of our sponsors. Check out Gundog Outdoors, Goose Creek Retrievers, Bangtail, Whiskey Eyesight Drone Service, Stanfield Hunting Outfitters, Looking Glass Duck Club Podcast, Lucky Duck, Dirty Duck Coffee, Boss Shot Shells, Dive Bomb Industries, Pacific Calls, and Shin Gear Waiters.